Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Eye of the Swarm, that theme song, Dr. Greg Moore in the Full Metal Jackets, bringing us into our second season of our UW-Superior Athletics podcast, All Things Yellow Jackets. He's the big sound, Matt Johnson, along with our engineer, Elliot Swear. I'm John Garver, and it's it's good to be back, my man. I think in a perfect world, we'd be on probably about Episode 4 or 5 at this point, but uh, unfortunately, in the the world of COVIDs and quarantines and all those other things, uh, we're taking the hit as much as everybody else, and it's kind of pushed our debut for this year down the road a little bit. Yeah, it's um, it's been a strange ride. Um, to quote the Grateful Dead, what a long, strange trip yeah, it's been. Yeah, a long, strange trip it's been. That um, was for you, Rich McKenna. <laughs> we, uh, you know... I, I'm kind of gratified by the fact I was able to broadcast a couple of games in the last week or so, and I commented on social media that it's the first time I because I went to look back because um, the last broadcast I had done was at the end of February and early 2020, so about a month, maybe a month and a half before this really hit the fan. Um, and I looked back and it was it had been just about seven months. I mean, it was almost right to the day. I think I think the soccer game was on like the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth or something, and the the basketball game was on like the twenty third of February. So it was almost exactly a little over, but just about seven months. And it has probably been of my professional career and of my life as a professional person, it's been the longest seven months <laughs> of my existence in that context. Um, it's just been strange. I mean, those seven months, there's been so much involved in what's happened, not just on the COVID front, but also in the United States. There's an election happening. George Floyd took place. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And it's hard to believe at a certain level that it's only been seven months. And I don't know if you feel the same way, John, but there has been so much that has t- taken place since COVID happened and hit in early March of this year. That it's hard to believe that we're still in the year of 2020. Right. I mean, this is, you know, this is the 10th month. This is October. And it, it just, the whole thing, it, it's just been almost to the point where it, it's it's rearranged my sense of timing, you know, and it's rearranged everything in terms of my day to day, not just about, you know, wearing masks and social distancing and everything else, but even your concept of what your day looks like is different. You have to make adjustments on the fly. And you and I, I mean, this is our first podcast in, what, probably six months maybe? I mean, how long has it been? Oh, I think we did. Uh, we talked with Joey Cummings. We did that one. Shortly, and then, yeah, we, we yeah. had Nick on right after right. the spring sports were canceled. And then we had Joey on, I want to say, that was uh, live from Garver's Basement in probably yeah. mid to late April. I think that sounds about Does right. That sound about right. Yeah. So, you know, we're going on five months and it feels shows. like it's been and a, it feels like it's been a year. Yeah, I mean it's been a really long time because I think at least in my when when this really hit and it looked like we knew that we were going to go on a long-term hiatus from this side of it which you and I both enjoy so much. Um my complete like focus shifted completely away from broadcasting, completely away from podcasting. From, oh, oh, oh you know, it was like a 180 well, return. Away from sports. Yeah, away from sports because everything got stopped. Right. So At a certain level, it feels weird to be back, but at the same time, it's a comfort because now it feels like at least a little bit of a sense of normalcy has returned to my life and to your life and to everybody else's lives. But it's been a long, crazy seven months. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's been grueling. It's been – I have found it to be mentally, physically exhausting. Yeah. And some of it comes from – 
your entire world just being turned upside down. Right. Um, whether it's working from home, having your academic year ended, sports going away, live music going away, not eating in restaurants, whatever it is. So many different aspects of life changed in there. But it had a certain degree of waking up in the morning going, what now? Yeah. What today? And it's it's been exhausting for people. Yeah. You know, and it's not exclusive to you and I. No, no, no. You know, it's not exclusive to the three of us that are, are doing this. It's There are 327 million Americans in this country. And, and they're exhausted. Yeah, they're exhausted. You know, I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's really... You know, I think you, you, know, you can you can throw the cast the net out even wider, Matt. I mean, this is a global thing. Oh yeah, the yeah. world's tired right now. Yeah, because it's just been one thing after another. Right. It's it's been one exhausting, you know, day after another. Um, and you know, at, at that point, it it does just kind of wear on you, and it's not something that hits you all at once. You know, from my perspective, I I, I just kind of. Um, resign myself to the fact that things were going to be different now. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's my day. I'm going to switch it this way. Um, and But there was a, you know, and, and I adjusted to that. But there was a, a time in where it was just like, what am I going to do with myself now? Because both of my jobs were shut down. What am I going to do with myself? You know, I spent a lot of time hiking and walking and getting outside because we had some really beautiful spring and summer weather. Early summer was incredible. Yeah, which was great. I mean, that just sort of, you know, made things so much easier in that regard. But at the same time, you knew it still wasn't normal. Right. I mean, there there was a lot of really nice times out there, too. But, I mean, for a while, my parents and my family told me, don't go anywhere. You know, don't come here. Don't, you know. Right. You know. I went for six months where I didn't see anybody from my family. I mean, the only conversations I had with them were on text and over the phone. Right. We had video chats, and that was it. So, but I'm not alone in that. 327 million of us are doing it, and on the planet, we've got 7 billion. Yep. And the vast majority of those 7 billion are having to deal with it, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it is literally a global pandemic, literally describes everything that's happening, but there's so much more that goes into it than just simply saying, well, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Well, there's been pandemics in our lives before. This one, though, dwarfs them all in terms of how much adjustment everyone has had to make. And so it's been a learning process, but like I said, I'm just really happy to be back. I mean, and hopefully we can continue doing this. I feel like for me that the, the first piece of normalcy came August 1st when the NHL came back and it even because major league baseball was shortly before that. Right. But yeah. when the NHL came back and started playing their, their qualification rounds of the Stanley cup playoffs, that was the first of, okay, this start, this is feeling a little bit normal. Granted it's the Stanley cup playoffs in August, right? but it's in a building in Edmonton with no fans. Right. Yeah. But okay. It's, it's hockey. It's normal. Right. You know, couple days later you flip over to a different channel and you've got the NBA playing in their playoffs now okay that feels a little bit normal right yeah. NFL training camps are starting to kip, kick up okay that's right. again limited fans or no fans but they're doing what they're going to be doing right so things were kind of starting to turn back a little bit on you know in a normal way right yeah. students are coming back to campus now and they're starting to attend classes again it's it's you are starting to see some signs of that normalcy, you know, right. there is some grass starting to peak up through that right. snow, but there isn't a lot of grass peaking up through that snow yet. No, no, I mean everything from I thought the quality of the play has been good, you know, in both the NHL and the NBA. 
Uh, and even in Major League Baseball, I mean, I think the numbers in Major League Baseball are going to be skewed just because they had so f- far less games than they normally would have. Oh, you're looking at 102 fewer games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're you're talking about you know, so the the you average, lost a two thirds of your season. Yeah, exactly. Because most guys are not used to you know they're used to okay. Well, I've had a rough couple of months. A rough couple of months is about where they would be normally right now. <laughs> you know, about 60 games in is where you start going. Well, you know, things aren't going real well, but I still got 102 to make it up. Right. And if you're the Minnesota Twins, you're done now. If you, you never came out of it. They deserve to be after that display. <laughs> I didn't see any of it. Um, I didn't either because they were playing at noon. <laughs> you know, right, you, yeah. you, all you got to do is look at the, the box score and go, okay, they had four hits in game one and three in game two, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, know, they had their offensive problems. You could tell it was because they didn't have really enough time to get into it. And the Twins were either really good or really bad. Well, I think injuries played a factor in that. Yeah, too. exactly. I mean, they rarely had their regular lineup in there. And watching their lineup, though, and watching them perform, they were either really, really good. They had really good stretches, and then they had some really bad stretches too. And it, it's not surprising to me that they lost both playoff games because they were either really good or really bad. And there were very few teams that were like really steady. I think throughout in terms of that too. I think I mean the Yankees had an awful run. You know. Yeah, but for the last month they've been scoring double digit runs every game. It seems like. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, I, every team has had that. I mean, the Yankees for a twenty game set were just dreadful. I mean, I think they were like five and fifteen and five or sixteen or something like that. They were they were absolutely terrible. They were right? like twenty fourth in the major league baseball. Yeah. I mean, they had an. I mean, they went right down to five hundred. Yep. I mean, they started out like gangbusters, and by about a month ago, they were, you know, clinging clinging to a playoff spot. They were like in the number eight seed, I think it was at one point, and so. I, I can't really get too on the twins for their you know their inconsistencies I guess over you know overall yet they're so consistent because they haven't won a playoff game in 16 years. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> I, I I posted something that something to the effect of death taxes and the twins blowing in the preseason or postseason because that's what they do, right? You know, I mean, 18 in a row that's that's that takes some real dedication not to getting it done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's what it feels that's like. That's commitment that right there. Yeah, you know, you, you're really dedicated to not winning when you're when you're you know in the playoffs when you get to that point. But um, the fact that the Vikings can be zero and three and they're not the most disappointing team in the Twin Cities right now. <laughs> it was funny listening to uh, the fan talking to <laughs> listening to the com man, listening to Barrero and some of the other guys that I hear when I'm driving around when I'm off, off of work or on my way to work, my other job. Um, talking about, well, what we got left? Well, we got Gophers football. That's about it. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, even the Lynx lost. Right. You know? So everybody's out now. You know, the Vikings still technically have 13 games to go. I don't know. I know you You see, you're a season ticket holder. So I would be more interested in what you think of what they've done because it hadn't been I'm much. just thrilled that we were able to defer out of our tickets for this year. Oh, yeah. Well, Without I, penalty. Okay, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean. <laughs> I, I was thinking of you when I was watching the Tennessee game, and I thought to myself at halftime, because I missed the first half, I watched the second half, I thought, I wonder if they're going to blow this game. Like, that was... Oh, you could feel it. You could feel <laughs> you it. You know, I mean, how is it going to go here now? Yeah. You know, like, what's going to be the... you know? And when the last possession came up and they were down by one, I thought, oh, my gosh. I, I It's just... It hits you because you know what's coming. It's, and, and that last possession was maybe the epic disaster that... Boy. <laughs> you know, with no fans. And right. it was still a mess. Right. So it's like, um, well, I <laughs> we could we could go into why the Vikings are as bad as they are right now. Yeah, I don't wanna I don't <laughs> wanna do that. You know, the, the the positive out of out of the Vikings game on Sunday was my my son said touchdown or his version of touchdown and it was hilarious. Really? Well what, what, you how know, did you put it? I just 
threw my arms near and said touchdown as enthusiastically as I could because I knew he was watching me and he got the arms up and said down. So, all right. That was about the cool part of that. Yeah. And then the then the rest of the game happened and then the rest of the game happened and he was <laughs> napping and you know, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I would have been too. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I would have taken a nap too. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's it's a weird time is the is a long and short. I mean, it's a very weird thing watching that game with piped in sound. You know, because I think they actually are bringing like speakers into the stadiums, right? Like, there's two stadiums I think you're allowed to have fans in, and then the rest of them, no. I don't know exactly how they're doing. I don't believe they are. the The sound you hear is for television. Okay. Because during the game on Sunday, but aren't they allowed to like they bring speakers took a in with pl- decibel levels? They took or something? a play and said, "This is what it sounds like without the piped in noise." Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it literally sounded like a a, a pregame scrimmage. walkthrough. Yeah. Like. It, yeah. It sounds. I mean, you can hear everything every guy is saying out yeah. there. Um. But I think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they they can get like speakers in there to create some decibel level. That right I there. don't know. Okay, because I, I, I haven't read. Thought that I heard far that the only it. two stadiums right now that are allowing fans that I know of are Kansas City and Jacksonville. Everybody else is right now playing without fans. Right. Uh, if you don't count, you know, family members and stuff. Right. Who are allowed into the games? But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's very strange to watch these games. Even the Stanley Cup, which I thought the, the quality of the play in the Stanley Cup was awesome. I thought they everybody played really well, all things being equal. And I thought the guys adjusted really well to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I felt like the quality of, of the play all the way through was pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I thought it was too. I, I thought they're, I was surprised at the intensity they were able to bring to those games. Yeah. Um, because it, how do you go from being off for five months yeah. to – all of a sudden, you're playing for a Stanley Cup. I mean, that's that's tough. That's, that's tough, and you you feel and, and not even your city. And like you, you're yeah. right. Yeah. You're, you're not in your city. You're not leaving your hotel basically because the hotel was connected to the arena, so you weren't leaving that ever. Right. And I, I guess from you know, it's it's good from the standpoint that it does allow you to be with your team, to focus on your teammates on your games. And, and be in that realm, but ha- not having not having your family around. Yeah, you know, for the the two teams that went to the Stanley Cup Finals, you're talking nine to ten weeks. Yeah, where they were away from their families, two and a half months. You know, the families got to come yeah. to the starting in the conference finals. The families were allowed into the bubble, but still, yeah, you know that that's a limited access thing to to your kids, and I I wouldn't want to be away from my kid for ten weeks. That would that would be awful. Yeah, but it. it that would be difficult, but at the same time, I I was really impressed with how they were able to deal with all that. The NBA did the same way. Mm-hmm. They didn't. I think they kept the families out until the conference finals. Yeah, families could come into the bubble and come to the arena and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I was impressed with the level of focus. You know, the NBA playoffs are still going on. The yep. Stanley Cup is now the, they're the first league to get done. Right. But I was impressed with the focus. But I bet those guys are just mentally. Beat more than they would be Ooh. even playing just a regular imagine. Stanley Cup, you know, uh, tournament where you're going to go and try to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, you're exhausted mentally and physically anyway. Mm-hmm. I bet they're more so even now, just, right? Just because of the strain of everything, you know. That would be my well, guess. Again, you, you've gone through just like we were just saying how mentally exhausting all of this has been. They went through that too, right? Yeah, and then they went into this, right? So, I mean, there are guys probably on the Tampa Bay Lightning and and the Dallas Stars that haven't gotten out of bed yet, right? You know, that are just you know, they're back in Dallas or back in Tampa or wherever they are and are just 
like lounging. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. I mean, for a good week. It's Until just like, your kid wakes you up and says, yeah. get out of bed, dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if he's not, if he's not coming to get me at noon, I'm still laying there, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, like I said, the wear and tear, the mental wear and tear. Right. So all that being said, we are back on campus and not competing. We are like the rest of the UMAC where we are not playing outside competition um, until at least January 1st. But in something that I, I think among UMAC peers is a little unique is we, we've got games going on here. We do. And we do. I will you know, absolutely credit our guest in the next segment, Athletic Director Nick Bursick, for coming up with this idea of we, we've got we've to gotta somehow try to simulate a game environment here. Right, yeah. You know, to keep these kids sharp and, and give them some form of competition. So he came up with, what if we do these, these super series where yeah. we play a three-game regular season and then go into a best of three or best of five sort of playoff series and determine an inner squad champion. And it's taken us a while to get there, but last week we finally got to at least get the chance to see a couple of our sports teams in action. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, you know, it's interesting because the you know we have five teams that are technically in season. Yeah, in season right now. Um, men's and women's soccer, volleyball, baseball, and softball. Baseball and softball are doing what they would normally do, which they would normally would call fall ball. So this is not necessarily out of the, the normal realm for them in terms of you know having fall ball games and stuff like that where they're experimenting and working on player development, moving players around, playing a lot of inter-squad stuff. That's pretty typical for this time of the year for baseball and softball. But for the other, two, the other three teams, really, men's, women's soccer, and volleyball, this is a brand-new experience for them. Um, you know, and you and I have both been able to attend or broadcast and or broadcast um, the two games that we that have so far the two quote unquote inter squad games part of the Yellow Jacket Super Series. Um, men's soccer and volleyball have so far competed in their first matches under those circumstances, and to be honest with you, for the most part, I think the performances have been pretty good, um, especially men's soccer. But we were expecting them to be very good again. Um, yeah, they had a lot of returners. Um, you know, he's got you know, Coach Joe Mooney has got thirty guys. He was able to divide his team up fifteen apiece, and he's got one of the things that Joe does really well is he establishes balance between his classes. So there's a good number of upperclassmen, of course, that are returning, but there's also some younger guys that are also in the mix that are kind of playing themselves up. And then you've got the new guys, and for the new guys, having an extended period where you can kind of work on development get used to your teammates, get used to the pace at which college soccer is played, blah, blah, blah. That really helps down the line. And especially will be helpful for like teams that really have a lot of young players. Women's soccer and women's volleyball both are very young this year. And so for them, it might even be advantageous at a certain level to be able to get these three months in there where you're kind of experimenting with things, moving players around. Everybody gets some playing time. Well, that was what I was going to say is, yeah. you know, when you – when you jump into a season as quickly as the fall sports do from first day of practice to first competition, it's only a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. When, and with games being as few as they are and as meaningful as they are, some of those younger athletes don't get reps. Nope. They don't get a lot of game reps. This is going to give them that game like situation, give them reps. They might not necessarily get, this could be very good for development. Right. Like you're saying. And that's something that I especially talked about with Lynn Diedrich uh, for her match. When I broadcasted that one about a week ago, um, you know, she has eight returners on this team, three seniors, but she's got t- 10 newcomers on this team. 
And so for them, it's going to be a, a more advantageous because they can get in there and get some reps. And even she brought up the point, you know, you know, there's a very good chance that the vast majority of these players were probably not going to play as much as they thought they probably should have or they could have. But now they're going to get the chance to see some time, and that'll help in their development down the line. So there is some advantage to it. I mean, does it overall, it stinks because, like you said, they should be in season right now. I mean, men's soccer would right now be in the midst of their UMAC you know, run or playing conference games. Well, they'd probably be nine or ten games into the regular season already. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they'd already be looking at regional rankings and seeing where they stack up for an NCAA tournament bid. But as it is right now, you know, you've got 30 guys and all 30 guys are, you know, playing each other and playing in an inter-squad format. So they are playing, but it's not the same. Obviously not even close to being the same, and it is a bummer. But I think that each of those squads basically in talking to the coaches and talking to the athletes a little bit, they're all, I think, taking a very positive and optimistic approach to it and, and thinking, you know, yeah, we don't have the opportunity to play a fall schedule. We are technically right now on track to play a spring schedule, but in the meantime, we gotta have something to do. And this is the best we can do. Let's do it at the best we can. And let's have fun with it and let's go out there and push ourselves and so on and so forth. So in that regard, I think it can be good. But yeah, I mean it, it, it's definitely a a a a fifty fifty spread. You know, you take the good with the bad, as the saying goes. And we've been treating them like actual contests. We we have the statistics right, crew yep, out there. Yep. So we're, we're doing the stats and everything. You've been on the radio. IFAN has been broadcasting. So it's, it's not like we're just, here's something for you to do. Right. I mean, yeah. we're, we're treating these like legitimate games. And, oh, yeah. And yeah. It, I think that's kind of what sets this apart a little bit from what some other places might be doing in terms of traditional inner squad right. or definitely sets us apart from the schools that aren't doing anything. Right, yeah. I mean, there are, there are a number of schools that aren't doing anything as far as I know. Um, and that's really hard and because now, you know, these, these are athletes, their sports make up a big part of not only their experience in college, but what they like to do when they're in college, what they look forward to about going to school. Um, and it gets pretty stale if all you're doing is, is just going to school all the time. I mean, that's what normal students do and all that kind of stuff. But for them, this is a big part of, of you know, they're used to that structure of having a sport to go to as, long, as well as going to school. And so I think it's a great thing that, that athletic director – you know, Nick Bursick has done and getting them as close to a game atmosphere as is possible under these circumstances, um, especially for the new kids, especially for the freshmen that have come in and the newcomers to the programs, giving them something to say, yeah, this is a college athletics. Um, for the for the upperclassmen, it's a little bit more of a bummer, I suppose, at a certain level, just because it's like, you know, we're, you know, time's running out. You know, we're juniors and seniors, and, and we're getting to that point now where, you know, the end of the road is not that far away, and we really want to take it, make the most of every experience that we can get. But I, you know, based on what I've seen from both men's soccer and women's volleyball so far, it seems like the upperclassmen are taking it pretty well. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've been impressed with what I've seen so far, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but it seems like everybody is, is taking it seriously and, and, and getting some enjoyment out of it. No, it seems like they're enjoying having some some sort of a of a game experience. It's not going to feel the same way, but they do have that, right, that some yeah. some kind of game experience. So it's it's 
I know how they feel about it. I'd, I'll be interested to pick the brains of some coaches and see how they're feeling about some of this as well, because it's obviously a different ball game for them too. And uh, you know, they've got to navigate the recruiting world with all this too. And that's going to be a really interesting conversation when we do get a coach in to, to talk with us, because it's uh, that the, the recruiting landscape has changed dramatically over the last seven months. I'm curious to hear what they've had to go through and what the future is going to look like when you start talking about blanket waivers from the NCAA and all of those things, because there's a compliance piece to all this too, that, uh, that boy, that could be a whole show or two shows all by itself. Right. But, you know, we, the big thing we've got right now is uh, we are back in action and uh, we're going to talk about that in our next segment as we'll have athletic director, Nick Bursick with us to talk a little bit about where this came from and, and where everything is going because, uh, it, what a long, strange trip it's been, and it's not over yet. Not by a long shot. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll come back with Nick Versick right after this. You are listening to Eye of the Swarm. For over 85 years, the dollars deposited at National Bank of Commerce have been reinvested into the community, sparking bold ideas and igniting big dreams. Our customers have helped transform the region. And if we've come this far already, just imagine what's next. National Bank of Commerce. We make more possible. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm, and we are joined by Nick Bursick, the Director of Athletics here at UW-Superior, our our most frequent guest, uh, I think, through the first year plus that we've done this, and... uh, Two for two, I guess, on the the first guest of the year as we move into October here before we actually get a show this time around. But uh, a lot has happened, Nick, since you were you were last with us. We go back to April and things were just fresh and sports were shut down and people were going online for their learning and everything. And uh, fast forward six months and first things first, you're a father now. So congratulations to you on and your wife on the birth of your son. What's fatherhood been like for the first month? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me back on again. Uh, excited to kick off this year of the swarm with you guys. Uh, fatherhood's been good. A lot of a lot of changes, but uh, it's been good. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You know, going into it, a lot of people tell you, "Hey, expect this, expect this." Really, you you can't prepare for it all. Going in strides, and uh, yeah, I mean, it it it's life changing, but wouldn't change it for a moment. I I always said. It's everything I expected and everything I didn't expect, yep. with the emphasis being on the didn't expect. Because you, you take the childbirth classes with your wife and everything that they offer, and I, I found those to be, for the most part, useless. They, they really don't train you for the stuff you really need to know. And I, I don't think we would go down that road again if we had that opportunity. But there's, there's so many things that you just aren't prepared for. <laughs> and I, I don't know how you felt, but when we loaded up the vehicle and we're pulling out of that hospital ramp, it was kind of like, they're actually letting us take this kid home. <laughs> they are letting us do this. This is ours now. And it took me a little while to get used to the fact that now there's three of us in this house. Yeah. I actually think you were the one that told me when it kind of hits you is when you're driving home, you look back in the rear view mirror and, oh, there's a kid in the back seat. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, my moment was somewhat similar to that. We were driving home and I noticed myself driving a little bit slower. Yep. A little less aggressively. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, when we got home, I mean, just the next two weeks, they're all just – they all blend together. Um, but, again, you can't trade those moments away uh, for anything. And 
we're blessed to, he's a healthy boy. His name's Avery. Uh, loves to spend time uh, with his mom and uh, loves tummy time, surprisingly. I heard not a lot of kids love that, but uh, <laughs> he loves rarity, it. My son hated it. <laughs> <laughs> he loves to already play with his toys and loves story time, loves bath time. Um, loves also, yeah, he loves also to wake up at about 2 a.m. and uh, <laughs> I take the overnight shift when I can, so. I can't imagine being a new father or even going through the final months leading up to the birth of your child and having to negotiate what you had to negotiate with everything that has gone on with COVID over the last six plus months. And when I, when I say that, I, I mean, like we said earlier, you put an end to the spring sports. We send everybody home and are teaching online. Then all summer long, you're, I, I, you probably can't even count the number of meetings that you were in and how many times the direction of the road you had to make a different turn or how many times the goalposts moved with everything related to, okay, this is what the start of the year is going to look like. Okay, now this is going to happen. Now this isn't going to happen. Now we're going to go in this direction. I can't imagine having all that on your plate. What was that like? Yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, it really was. And like you said, it, it it always had a different turn in the road. It always had a different roadblock. And once we thought we were on the right path, you know, it, it changed 10 different times. Um, and it was difficult, but I would say for us as an athletics department, we always tried to keep the student athletes in mind. Um, and we always tried to prioritize their health and safety. Um, and in the end, as we tried to navigate things coming to us from uh, you know, the state of Wisconsin, Douglas County, the NCA, the UMAC, the WIAC, uh, UW System, our institution, our athletics department. Um, it proved to be pretty difficult to have that many layers. But at the end, I, I think we were trying to navigate the best we could to help our student athletes, um, given all the complexities we faced this fall. Another curveball, I guess, too, that gets thrown into that is we're a Wisconsin school in a Minnesota conference. You know, the UMAC is kind of, I guess in this aspect, governed by, you know, Minnesota health as opposed to Wisconsin health. And for the two schools, us and Northland College, that are in that conference, that's a, another layer that you, you have to deal with. Yeah, you know, when we're in conference meetings, eight of our or seven of the UMAC schools talk about Minnesota policy where the state of Minnesota is. And, you know, we have to sit back and say, well, that's not our requirements, that's on our policy because we're in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and the two states, I will say, they have some similarities, but for the most part, they are operating two different paths in terms of overall response, requirements, mass, no mass, uh, large gatherings, approved for competition, those type of things, moving in two different directions. And as a conference, you know, we're stuck trying to med those two together, and uh, it can be difficult at times. I I, I think the way the conference came about it, and I, I know there were times where over the course of the summer we're getting the, hey, when's the when's the soccer schedule coming out? When are we going to know about basketball season? And we just kind of kept kicking that can down the road, be, you know, from a UW-Superior standpoint because it's going, well, we don't want to this, – this was me personally saying, I don't want to put out a schedule release and then have to walk it back in a day, a week, an hour, whatever that it might end up being. But – all in all, the conference handled that very well, and I think that really speaks volumes about the leadership that the UMAC has. 
Yeah, we're fortunate to have the commissioner we do. And I would say the AD council, the president's council, our senior women administrator council, um, the governance structure itself uh, proved to um, be pretty effective. Um, I would say our philosophy going into everything and has con- continued forward as we've had to assess winter and now even talking about spring. Um, we have been one of the conferences, for better or worse, been one of the last ones to make some decisions because we've tried to, uh, again, for better or worse, hold out hope that we could continue forward with competitive opportunities uh, for our student-athletes and our programs. Now, that hasn't shown itself to be true, um, but, but we have tried to hold out hope and tried to explore every possible option we could to give our kids a competitive opportunity uh, this fall. Unfortunately, you know, we just weren't in a position to do it uh, with all the requirements, all the guidance. Ultimately, when the NCAA came out and really advised against competition this fall, um, that was kind of the nail in the coffin. But we quickly then turned our sights into, okay, we know we're going to have a period eventually where hopefully we're going to be clear for competition, that we can fulfill all the requirements from the NCA, from the UMAC, from the state of Wisconsin, state of Minnesota. We're going to be in a better place someday. Let's get us to that as quick as possible, and let's build the infrastructure, let's build the structure, let's build the policies, the procedures that allow us to eventually resume competition. It really wasn't exhaust every option, too. I mean, you you had everything from we're just going to go forward and and play like we would normally play our schedule to at one extreme to we're going to declassify ourselves and put ourselves into a make our our programs club programs so then they'll still be able to play and then can become a division 3 again everywhere in the middle i mean those are all different options i'm not saying anything was taken seriously there but it's it's quite the gamut that you can run there and try to find all these different ways for which you want to get that competition. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. We put pretty much every card we could possibly find on the table and said, well, if it's worth exploring, let's let's at least look at it. Um, but I would say every time we did that, we always looked under the health and safety of our student-athletes. Um, and at, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're not competing right now. Uh, at the end of the day, the AD Council, the SWA Council, the President's Council ultimately decided, you know, it's, it's just not the right time, not the right environment to go out and compete right now. Um, but like I said, we quickly are turning to the table of, okay, what do we need to do to get ourselves in a better place to go out and compete? Uh, and that's really now what we're working on. Um, and it's proving to, again, to have many layers, many complexities. Uh, but we're hopeful that we can get to one day in a better place to resume competition. Hopefully we get there soon, but some things are beyond our control too. Kind of hogging the mic here, Matt. So, hey, speak up over there. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Wake Gar- up, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love to nod off over here. Um, I guess I have a couple of questions, uh, Nick. Uh, the first one is I don't know how you guys were able to actually put together as much of a coherent – plan as you actually did considering the amount of contingency plans you have to put together for something like this because every decision it feels like during this I guess seven eight months now that we're going on since this entire you know pandemic kind of hit the United States it feels like every decision also has to have a a list of contingency plans after that so that makes it that much more difficult I mean how much more stress is that put on you guys to have to make a decision like that I mean was there just constant you know, ideas being thrown out, if this, if that, I would think that it would, simply because 
of the fluid situation. I mean, these seven or eight months have been a very long seven or eight months, and I can't remember a time where anything was really settled, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of knowing, well, for sure we know this or for sure we know that. The word, you know, certainty was kind of, it's been moved out of the lexicon now until we can figure out exactly how we're going to deal with this going into the future. So I guess, like I said, my question to you is, how many contingency plans did you guys have to look at in order to even come up with a plan to go into spring and have competition? Uh, I would say there's a ton put out there. Um, I would say if there's anything that the past six months have shown to us is things will continue to be fluid all the way up until day one. Um, And, you know, day one's even fluid. We don't know when day one is going to be. But uh, we're like I said, we're trying to put everything we can on the table, explore it, exhaust every opportunity, turn over every rock to really make sure, one, that we can feasibly do this going forward. And then, two, if we are going to go forward, that we are still prioritizing the health and safety of our student athletes. Because at the end of the day, if we can't guarantee the health and safety of our student athletes, I mean, I don't see us competing now. I'm hopeful that we can find and build structure and build policy, build protocols to get us there. But um, it, it's a fluid situation and many layers to it, many contingency plans, uh, many backup plans. You know, we go into something, we have plan A that we'd love to do. We have plans B. And then it's like we have plans C, D, E, all, and F. And uh, it just keeps going. But we just got to be nimble in the situation. We got to understand that the environment's going to continue to change. But um, if I look back to where we were at the end of the spring, I think we've learned a lot, and, and everything we've done till then can help us move forward, and hopefully move forward in a positive direction. How much consulting did you guys do with the other D three leagues that are around, like the WIAC and the MIAC? Did you guys talk with them at all and see where they were at? I mean, were their notes compared between all of you? Seems like that would be something that might happen, or even the, the NSIC at a certain level. I mean, did you reach out to those other leagues? Did you talk with them at all about what they're thinking and what you guys were thinking and compare notes at all? Yeah, I would say one of the things that really showed itself to be valuable was the collegiality and the partnership that not only exists amongst institutions in our region, but even the conferences within our region. You know, as the UMAC was evaluating policies or schedule models or, you know, any other thing, uh, we often referred to, well, what are our counterparts in the MIAC doing? What are our counterparts in the WIAC doing? And then even up into Division Two, Division One, you know, what, what policies, what requirements are they doing uh, or are those conferences doing? Um, big things like schedule models, officials, testing, safety protocols, all the way down to little things like how are you doing laundry? How are you feeding your kids on the road? Uh, your busing policies, those things, you know, people think, yeah, we want to go out and compete, but there are a million things we have to do on the back end to even get to that point. Um, and really, the one thing I, I would credit the UMAC in doing in the past six months is really building those relationships and really tapping into those relationships to see what our peers are doing, because there's not a playbook for this, right? Every institution, every conference is trying to figure this out. And uh, we're, for the most part, we're willing to work with each other to, uh, because we know at the end of the day, we need each other to go out and have these opportunities and support one another. I guess that is one of the positives that has come out of this is that there has been a lot of coordination going on, I think, by everybody. Um, John and I talked about this in a podcast from last year, the fact that once one domino fell, everybody kind of fell into place. But you mm-hmm. can't get that done in terms of protocols unless everybody gets on board. 
you know, we talked about the fact that really the the, the cam or the straw that broke the camel's back in the beginning was the NBA player testing positive, and then everything just sort of you know it was a domino effect. And for and someday there's going to be an ESPN 30 for 30 on that and how that all went down. I'm sure it's going to be like an eight parter. Yeah, exactly about <laughs> how everything went down. But everybody reacted very swiftly after that. I mean, it started very quickly with the NBA, and then it just the dominoes started to fall all across both professional and college sports. And there was, I think, a remarkable level of coordination and agreement across each of those leagues to say, yeah, we have to shut this down. We don't know exactly. You know, we haven't seen any problems yet, but we're going to head this off before it becomes a problem and then it gets out of control. So it's, it's, it's nice to hear that that has also been the case at the D2 and D3 levels in our case, where there's been a lot of coordination back and forth. And I don't know how much the NCAA has, has helped guide you guys. Have they jumped in at all and, and given you guys some guidance or anything? I mean, have you had any anybody in Indianapolis or anywhere else connected with the NCAA consulting with you as all as well on that, on all this? Yeah, we, we, we've had a lot of contact with the NCAA. I, I would say one of the very cool things about the UMAC is we have some pretty broad representation of individuals serving on the various governance structure of the NCA. And it has proven to be pretty valuable in the past six months because we've seen uh, perhaps how sport championship committees are reacting to changes to brackets, changes to policy. Uh, we are also seeing, you know, from a management council perspective, uh, legislation, waivers, bylaws, things from that level that are coming at us too. And then, you know, being tied in, Corey being tied in our commissioner to the commissioner's group and meeting with Dr. Hainline and Sports Science Institute, he can keep us informed too of what we expect to be the health and safety guidelines. So for the most part, you know, the UMAC is pretty well situated because we have broad representation in the NCA governance structure. I would say, you know, the NCA continues to funnel new documents to us, new research to us. Um, you know, it seems like every day we get a new email from them with a new guideline or a new requirement to follow. And it can be tough, but um, from their vantage point, you know, I, I can see they're trying to communicate. They're trying to advise us the best way possible. Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult, too, because they're trying to make policy and recommendation for their entire membership. Well, the the scope of their membership is so broad, right, so yeah. dynamic. They're talking anywhere from, you know, power D1 schools to, you know, small D3 schools, you know, institutional athletic budgets of $200 million to $200,000, you know, uh, you know, the discrepancy there is so broad. Um, it's, it's really hard for them to write policies that pertain to all of us. But they're trying the best that they can. Um, but I think as, as a conference, we've tried to take all the data that we can find and, and, and really gather and try and use that to devise our plan forward and our policies forward. Speaking of the NCAA, that's a, a good segue. I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. They, they've already, to use a, a, probably not the best word, they've already punted on fall sport championships, even though those teams – theoretically are going to have the opportunity to play and compete in the spring. They've already punted on those fall championships. Did they do that too soon? In my opinion, uh, I would have loved to see us evaluate opportunities for fall championships still do occur in the spring. Uh, And the reason being, the bulk of the membership um, has intentions of playing fall sports in the spring to offer student-athletes that type of experience. Uh, 
I would have loved to see the NCA wait to try and assess what the membership is going to do and then react with the membership and not kind of force the membership to react one way. Um, but, you know, it's a tough position. They, there's a ton of planning that goes into NCAA championships. Uh, there's definitely a financial part as well. And as COVID has shown, fiscal resources have become limited. Um, and sometimes you have to make decisions based off of the financial constraints you're operating within. But to me, you know, the NCA membership is the NCA. It, it is the 440 Division three schools that make up and really drive NCA championships. And to me, I, I would have preferred the NCA waited to see where the membership was going to be and see how many of us were going to engage in competition in the spring and then tried to work to find what solutions could there be. You know, maybe it isn't a full national champion, but maybe it's regional championships. You know, that, that could be feasible. Um, you know, there's conversation of that happening in lieu of there being no NCA championship, but. Um, yeah, I, I feel for our fall student athletes. You know, our men's soccer team in particular was one that had aspirations of getting back into that tournament, going on a run in that tournament, uh, and they lose that opportunity this year. Um, you know, hopefully we can offer them some experience, but it might not be that full experience they once thought they could have uh, in the fall. You brought up resources. That's kind of tight across the board. I mean, we've seen Stanford, the arguably the most successful athletic program in the nation. They're oh, yeah. cutting staff, they're cutting sports. They've had some some pretty big things come down the pike for them. So if it, if it hits them yeah. in terms of resources, it's obviously hitting everybody. Well, and that was, I, I talked about it when it happened on uh, social media, when Stan Stanford cut 11 sports, which is unprecedented. I've never heard of a school at any level dropping that many varsity sports. And you're talking about a school in Stanford that regularly leads the Director's Cup standings. And for those who don't know, Director's Cup is, is a means to basically judge how successful your athletic program is doing. And I can't remember a year in the last 20 to 30 years where Stanford has not been at the top of the Director's Cup standings. They win more national championships than any other institution, and they have done so for, John, what do you think, uh, decades? Decades. Yeah. And for them to cut those sports, and they cut some sports where they were winning titles. I mean, when you win as many titles as Stanford does every year, mm -hmm. you're cutting sports where you have national championship-level athletes in those sports. That was, I think, a real warning shot across the bow to the Division One level. I don't know necessarily, you know, how healthy some of the other levels are in terms of their, you know, maintaining the stability of their departments in terms of number of sports and athletes they can carry. But that was a real warning shot across the bow. Now we've seen multiple, especially Power Five schools, and Stanford, of course, is a Power Five school, but. <laughs> Uh, we've seen multiple, you know, Power Five schools and on down cutting sports, and they've had to do it because they're they're looking at a really big revenue shortfall. Yep. And you know, I assume that that has a domino effect all the way down to you guys at a certain level as well. Yeah, there, there's no getting around it. You know, what COVID has caused is has caused and exposed some budget uncertainties and some budget realities that we're all faced with now. You know, we're we're experiencing some unprecedented change. We're experiencing shift in policies, shift in requirements. You know, testing is a big thing too. Uh, testing isn't free. So how are institutions going to absorb those costs to, you know, go on and support opportunities moving forward? Th there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, and I don't think 
any institution really is excluded from that conversation because we're all facing it. Uh, whether it's a drop in ticket revenue, you know, we're, we're not hosting games. We're, we don't have spectators right now. And, you know, a source of our income was ticket revenue. You know, that'll, that will be different. Um, other institutions have uh, declining enrollment and COVID kind of uh, made that problem a little bit worse. And, you know, tuition ultimately drives some revenue for institutions and tuition revenue helps funnel resources to athletic departments, similar to that it does to academic departments. And, you know, institutions moving forward are going to have to continue to assess their fiscal resources, their personnel, their departmental operations. Uh, and everything and the like, and try and find a way to move forward. Um, for us, you know, I'm I'm very optimistic that we continue to move forward as is, and we continue to prioritize the student athlete experience. I think that's been pinnacle to our department over the past several years, and uh, a great driver of our success too. So. Um, can't tell you, you know, I know what the future looks like. Don't have a magic eight ball in front of me, but... Uh, I would just tell you to ask again later. Yeah, most likely. Um, but, you know, we're, we're excited about where the future can take us. I think there's some big things coming our way, too, um, that will help propel us. And uh, excited for the day for us to be able to reveal some of those things and talk more about those things. But, uh, yeah, it as much uncertainty as there is for the future, I think there's a ton of optimism, too. Last week was the week before when the Big Ten walked back their their shutdown of football right. and everything. Yeah. That was a couple of weeks ago. Being that the, the UMAC, like just about all the Division threes in the nation, have are not competing until at least January first. Has there been any kind of a conversation or anything about maybe walking some of this back? like the Big Ten did? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and a question I've gotten asked by student athletes, you know, once they saw the Big Ten make that, you know, in the back of their mind, I know they have to think about, well, I wonder if we can do that. You know, I wonder if the UMAC will rescind and, you know, move us forward, especially even as high schools uh, across the nation are. Minnesota announced it today. Yep. Yeah, are, are evaluating their plans and, you know, even bringing back fall sports, moving forward with winter sports, all alike. Um, I would say for us, you know, our challenges are still there in terms of uh, some of the testing components. Uh, you know, I would say testing is probably the biggest barrier right now. Uh, just the lack of testing, the cost of testing, the administration of testing, the turnaround time. Um, I wish we could say we don't have to test, but, you know, I don't think that's prudent in us supporting the health and safety of our student athletes. Um, but that's really the biggest barrier. Until that barrier is really re resolved or a better pathway is provided, we're going to always face that hurdle, and I don't know just when we'll be able to jump over it. I'm trying to think of how I – Well, because I saw the wheels turning. I was waiting <laughs> yeah. for you to ask the so question. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I can understand why for the D3s, and even the D2s, it's much tougher because – even uh, the Big Ten is a Power Five conference. They have resources under the best under the best of circumstances that nobody else has. Each of those Power Five leagues. That's why they're the Power Five. You know, they have all the resources, and that's why they're designated the way they are. Um, but people, I think, you know, hoping that D two and D three can come back just like the Big Ten said. Well, all things being considered, we probably can give this a go. It's not going to be the same. There isn't the resources there to be able to turn on a dime if there's a popular groundswell even, to say, yeah, we have everything that we need. We can get it done. 
it's going to cost us a lot of money and we're going to take a big time revenue shortfall out of it, but we can still make it happen. It's just not quite the same at the D2 and D3 level. You have to wait and you have to play it much more closer because you don't have that, you know, you don't have that revenue that you would need to just say, if we just reallocate this money to this for this year, we can do it. Well, and I, I, I guess where I was going to go is I, I don't think people, you see it on TV and they, you, there's all kinds of talk about testing and okay, there's drive up, they test you in your car and away you go, you know, the results in no time. But I, I don't think people really grasp how much goes into from an athletic standpoint, from even a university standpoint, securing testing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a one-time thing. It's not like a flu shot where you go into Walgreens, they put a needle in your arm, and you're good for the year. I mean, it's, right. it's dramatically different from that. And I, I don't think they understand that the magnitude that testing at this level is. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you. And, you know, the testing priority doesn't – and I agree with it. The testing priority – athletics shouldn't be the top priority. You know, the top priority needs to be those in our country – that actually need to get it because maybe they're symptomatic, maybe they've had exposure. There's a medical need for that. Those are where the testing resources should go. That should be the top priority. From there, though, the priority after, it's it's hard for us to get testing kits solely to do surveillance testing when there is already such a need in hospitals and clinics in rural communities uh, to do more of the you know, testing for those that are symptomatic and who have had exposure, or to do the community surveillance testing to help mitigate outbreaks. Um, you know, the testing supplies are limited. I do think in, in the coming months, hopefully there's breakthroughs in testing, and, you know, I think we continue to see that. And the news every day, you know, somebody's popping up with testing and has the ability to produce more testing and, you know, more point-of-care testing, uh, you know, instant testing. I think we'll get there. It's just six months ago, we didn't have any of that. You know, it does take time. And unfortunately, you know, time hits and sometimes we lose opportunities from a competitive standpoint um, just because it takes time for some of these things to come to reality. Well, I think then they say in Duluth that we just had our first saliva test, I think, station open up. Yep. And so that changes also even the method of testing because up until then it's been a nasal swab. Now it's going to be saliva testing, which will be that much quicker. Um, you know, just little things like that could help. And there are, you know, segments of society right now, especially at the corporate level in the, in the medical, you know, atmosphere or medical um, profession, they're working on trying to expedite as much testing and contract tracing as a result of that as possible. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, you know, my personal opinion is the, the, the end game here, you know, after taking all this stuff into account, taking in 20, 2020 to 2021 is development of a vaccine. And thankfully that, you know, is also being worked on as we speak. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel in that regard, I think, because they are working on these things and they are getting some promising results early on. But for the time being, it, like you said, it's a slow, kind of arduous process. It's kind of like to use a football now, so you just burrow your head through the line and just keep trying to plug away and keep moving your legs mm-hmm. and trying to push forward. And that's kind of where we are right now, and that's just the reality of it. Yeah, and a big thing behind that too is, you know, once we secure testing, that doesn't mean, okay, we're good, we can go out. Our conference peers have to secure testing too. And 
you know, there's a different dynamic there. The ability for us in Superior, Wisconsin, next to Duluth, Minnesota, the Twin Ports, to secure testing is going to be inherently different than our peers in Morris, Minnesota, or even in Ashland, Wisconsin, or down in the Twin Cities where they might have greater access. Um, and I think that's a big thing you have to recognize too, just because one institution can do it and has a medical provider behind it doesn't mean that is going to work for all other conference members and you know within our region and the NCA. So it's a layered process and, and it's a difficult process. You've got students back on campus now. You're a month into the academic year. Things are still plugging along okay. You're not competing in a traditional season like we are accustomed to when we reach October and things are starting to hit conference play and you know regional rankings are coming out for soccer mm-hmm. and all of that. All that being said, you still have student-athletes on campus. Engagement is important. What are the things that your department is doing to keep those student-athletes engaged through essentially what is a non-season season? It's an extended training camp. That's the way I put it. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's the ultimate training camp, hopefully, to set up a, a good spring season for us. Uh, but really, you know, kudos to our coaches because I, th- I think they've looked through it on the lens of – Now is a unique period where we can work out, train uh, with our student athletes that a lot of sports never really had. You know, soccer, if if we look at our men's and women's soccer programs, they typically get, what, a two-week period before they're right into games. You know, and from a player development standpoint, a team development standpoint, you know, I would think we were pretty limited in our ability to help our kids develop, you know, from – I'm, I'm not a soccer guy, but from touching to passing to scoring, you know, now Joe and Allison have those opportunities to work on those skills with our kids uh, that we've never had. Uh, on top of that, too, the NCA has given us greater latitude to have more touch points with our student athletes. And I think that's proven to be pretty valuable. You know, baseball, softball, tennis have had a traditional, non-traditional season in the fall, which limits them to 15 practice and a day to competition. Now we get to have touch points with our kids throughout. You know, so I, I look at like our pitchers on baseball, softball. Now our coaches can work with them and actually have a pretty fluid throwing program that's actually going to benefit their development long term and, and their health and safety and all that. So I, I think it's been a little bit advantageous to now have this period. Do I wish we were competing? Absolutely. But, um, you know, I think we've looked at through the opportunity of we're, we're provided a chance to do things. Uh, we got to do them safely, but we can still provide our student athletes with an experience this fall to, that hopefully allows us to develop, that allows us to be in a position to go out and compete successfully this spring and hopefully have a pretty good year at it. Do you think the or the NCA would look at this maybe as something that could be permanent rather than going back to traditional, non-traditional seasons, understanding the benefits that come from allowing more touch points between athletes and coaches? Is there potential for that to maybe become something permanent where, you know, you can have contact with these kids year-round? Yeah, I, I would hope so. You know, our Division One, Division Two, our peers uh, have that flexibility. Um, I would hope it would be something one day Division Three can adopt as kind of our new format, our new structure. I think it does benefit our student-athletes in terms of their athletic development. Um, I know 
national SAC and our institutional SAC and the student voice has played a big role in us continuing with uh, the old model, the traditional model of a non-traditional season or traditional season. And, you know, there being concerns about, you know, student workload and, you know, coaches taking advantage of opportunities. But I think what the past month has at least shown us, I don't think coaches nationwide really look at it under that lens of, you know, now I'm going to train with my kids every day for the entire semester. Now there's still parameters put in place. There's still safeguards in place. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I would hope we as an NCA membership strongly consider this type of model. Maybe it's not the right model for us long term, but this type of model that gives coaches, athletes greater access to one another, um, because I I think it fuels their development. I think it fuels the health and safety, uh, if I'm honest, in terms of you know more touch points is probably a good thing. I think you think about the mental health, the emotional support often provided by teams. I think it's a plus to be around your teammates a little bit more often and not have those you know three-month dead periods that our traditional structure uh, really required. What is spring going to look like? <laughs> I know it's an awful long ways away, and you, you have no way of, of knowing, again, where the goalposts are going to be once you get to January 1, and theoretically all these teams can begin their actual seasons then. But what what is that going to look like when you've got all your fall sports, your winter sports, and oh yeah, in a month after January 1, your spring sports are cranking up too. Talk about no playbook. Yeah, there, there's really no playbook, and... Uh... I would, the picture is yet to be painted, right, in, in terms of we really don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I would say I think we're starting to see what it's going to look like in some regards. Uh, the Sports Science Institute has started to publish some of the requirements for winter sports and uh, has alluded to those requirements for spring sports as well. So it's starting to show us what safety requirements we're going to have to have in place, which then can help influence okay, how can we structure schedules? How can we structure the season? How can we use our dates uh, and practice accordingly? I think that picture is starting to get painted, but I think it's going to be pretty complex. Um, you know, for us, we're going to try and run 19 varsity programs all at once. Um, it's going to present us some challenges. You know, I, I worry about our athletic trainers. <laughs> I worry about our athletic trainers. I worry about you and your staff from a marketing sports information side. Um, you know, there's so much that goes on in an athletics department to even get to game day um, that maybe the casual observer, maybe our even student athletes don't see um, that gets us to that point to go out and compete. But I think we're going to look at it through the lens of what can we do to support our student-athletes? What can we do to help provide them with the best experience we can? Um, you know, we're going to have institutional limitations. We're going to have conference limitations. We're going to have limitations from the NCA. But I think we'll try and do the best we can to give them the best experience possible. One more and we'll let you go. I imagine there is some urgency to have it figured out by spring. Simply, if for nothing else... For the benefit of the spring sports, because the last thing you want would be to have them lose two consecutive seasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was with a spring sport last year when our season got cut short, and uh, it, it weighs heavily on all of us um, to make sure that those student-athletes are provided an opportunity uh, and not have to go through it again. 
with that, though, you know, I will say and I will caution the environment has to be right for it, too. You know, we have to make sure we can protect the health and safety of our student athletes, our coaches, our staff, all those affiliated with our department as we go forward in competition. Um, but, you know, I'm hopeful that the spring does include competition and it includes good competition. It includes championship opportunities, um, hopefully at a conference level, hopefully at maybe a regional level, a national level. Um, but we're able to provide ourselves uh, those opportunities and we're able to provide our student athletes with the best experience that we can. We're going to get back to actually being able to compete, and we will have the worst spring weather on record <laughs> is what is going to happen. Yeah, I'm so not that. counting on anything. I'm one of those guys. I just, you know, if, if these seven, eight months have taught me anything about all of this is that life, man, life changes at the drop of a hat, and you got to be super-duper flexible. I mean, I think a lot of the unrest that you see with people right now in regards to COVID and masks and testing and stuff is just because – they're not used to this uncertainty. They want to have everything just be neatly folded up and, and put together and said, it's okay now. But that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. And so everything like we're talking about here, I mean, contingency plan after contingency plan, uh, that's just the way, you know, and weather's going to be another one. I mean, weather always is anyway. Right. But that's just another one in this case. I mean, you're just adding that to a layer of contingency plans that you have to think of and um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the spring. I mean, I'm kind of anxious to see it myself. You and I are going to be super busy. That's yeah. about all we know at this point. <laughs> if and that's even if things go, you know, according to somewhat the plan. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm anxious to see how it works out. But like you said, I, I, I'm completely on board. I know John is too. It's got to be the right environment. It can't be just we're just doing it to do it. You have to go out there and actually have a purpose. And, you know, first and foremost, it's got to be to keep everybody safe and, 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 and healthy. That's rule number one. The irony being last spring, we probably would have gotten all of our home games in because the weather was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We kind of talked about that, I think, in the podcast we did with Joey Cummings. Uh, we talked about the fact that under normal circumstances, we'd be happy to be on the field right now. But And we had a nice uh, summer, too. But it's all been kind of overshadowed by you know circumstances beyond anyone's control. He's the athletic director, Nick Bursick. Thank you for stopping by for the episode one of season two of The Eye of the Swarm. Thanks, boss. Yeah, thanks, guys. We're going to take a little break, pay some bills, and we'll be back with our final segment of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring, and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. Final segment of this edition of Eye of the Swarm and uh, good conversation, Matt, with Athletic Director Nick Bursick. Uh, one that probably could have gone a heck of a lot longer because this is uh, this is one of those. If COVID is the hand or that conversation is the hand, there's more than five fingers in terms of direction you could go with those conversations. There are a lot of moving parts to all this. Oh, boy. Are there ever. I mean, that's one of the things I brought up with the contingency plan question was the fact that there are a zillion different ways you can go with this. And you could sit at a bar, on a couch, you know, in in your living room. um, You know, you could sit in an office and you could talk this out for hours and hours and hours because there's a zillion things in motion all the time. Um, you know, I mean, just the amount of conversation and emails that I'm sure that, you know, Nick is, is fielding on a regular basis from everyone from the NCAA to 
other you know athletic directors at conference schools to members of the WIAC to the MIAC to Division Two members to uh, you know even Division One members who are weighing in and saying here's how we're doing this and how's it you know there's just so much movement going on right now it's really hard to get a definite answer on anything and everyone seems to understand that so that is a positive but at the same time it's exhausting because it's it's unrelenting everyone's got questions very few answers you know there's there's five questions for every answer mm-hmm. you know and that's the way and every time you answer one question three more three more will pop up yep. and then you answer one of those three and then another three more come I, it's just it, it's it, it's it's like an explosive factor it's like a mathematical thing where you know you have one of those high rising parabolas where it's just you know it, it, it's exponentially growing the uncertainty and dealing with that is really tough, but it sounds like, you know, we're doing the absolute best we can right now. And hopefully, you know, the rest of the public will understand that as well. I think for the most part people do, but I mean, obviously there's still some frayed nerves out there at the very least. You're back on the air tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday, October 1st and October 2nd. Men's soccer back in action. Game two of the super series. Yep. Game two of the super series tomorrow night, Friday night, uh, here on uh, 91.3 FM. Um, team Built Different and Team Earn It are the two names of the two teams. Uh, team Built Different won the first matchup 4-2. to two. That was in that first of the Super Series matches. Uh, game 2 tomorrow night. Uh, it'll be a 7 p.m. opening kick. I'll probably get on with pregame about 15 minutes ahead of time, so about 6.45 or so, I'm guessing. Um, and it sounds like it could be a little chilly out there. It could be. Uh, pretty typical this time of year. I mean, we're in October now. And, um, you know, so it's going to be a little bit blustery out there, especially for those of us who are in the press box, uh, such as you and me. Um, but, you know, I'm still just looking forward to seeing them get back on the field um, like for a second time and see what kind of adjustments are made. And that's another cool thing as a broadcaster is you get a chance to see it's, it. Is, it is a series. Mm-hmm. We don't broadcast series very much. Right. You know, in what we do. College sports doesn't do series. They're not like the pros where you play – best of seven in the playoffs or anything like that. We were seeing the same team, or even in Major League Baseball. You get in hockey, and that's about it. Yeah, exactly. And even that doesn't happen until playoffs. Right. You know, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustments are made. I never get a chance to talk about adjustments because the sports that I broadcast don't do series. So it's always a one-game shot. You'd make maybe an adjustment from the last time you saw them two months ago, but that's it. You know, you're not playing them consecutively. So it'll be interesting to see, and maybe mix up the teams a little bit more. I don't know. You know, and that'll be something interesting to see uh, what Coach Mooney does in that regard. But uh, you can bet he's going to try to get back. He was the coaching the team that lost. He he teach uh, he was coaching team earn it in that four two loss that uh, and the other assistants were coaching uh, team built difference in that first game. So I know there's been some trash talk there. I talked with Coach Mooney a little bit about that, but um, that's where we're at. You know, and that's our one event for the week. Uh, hopefully, people will be able to tune in on ninety one three FM and check out some college soccer. But uh, um, I'm just really happy to be back on the airwaves, uh, you know, and I know you've got some hockey games coming up here in the next couple of months. And, um, and then we have baseball, softball, women's soccer, and, uh, women's volleyball will also be playing on the air here in the next couple of weeks. We're hoping so. And, uh, uh, yeah. As we move into November, you're going to start to see some basketball come on the air as well. So, you know, there is a little bit of that normalcy, not yep. quite to the frequency that we're used to, but, no, no. you know, it's definitely going to be nice to be back on the air. But it's going to be really nice to go be back on the air, and it's really nice to be going through the paces again. Uh, you know, just, if nothing else, just knock the rust off for us, too. I mean, it, it's not only just a training camp for them and knocking the rust off at a certain level, it's also for us. And because, uh, I mean, if you don't do this for a while, you do get a little bit rusty, and you start to kind of wane a little bit. So um, 
I'm happy to be back and obviously uh, getting you back on the air. That's the next thing we got to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking <laughs> forward to that eventually at some point. <laughs> right, so. yeah, yeah. But uh, good to be back here on the podcast as well, Matt. Thanks for coming in. Oh, anytime, big sound, Matt Johnson. As always, thank you to Elliot Sweary, our, our engineer. And uh, hopefully next week we can grab one of those coaches and tell some uh, recruiting stories and everything. Those are always fun and you know, with the whole new dynamic now with uh, the COVID and the waivers and everything, it should be an interesting conversation. So hopefully next week we can do this again. But until next time, he's the Big Sound Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and you've been listening to Eye of the Swarm.